Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Who are you wearing is a question we often hear posed to celebrities at award ceremonies and other occasions intended to demonstrate elegance and access to wealth. The gowns and tuxedos and outfits worn at such luxurious galas are valued higher than some people's annual salaries, and their aesthetic intention is to dazzle to highlight the sophistication of the designers and the people wearing their designs. This question, who are you wearing, was raised some 2,000 years ago by the apostles of the church. And in today's reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, we are given to understand that everyone who'd been baptized was clothed with Christ. This is a pretty wild concept. Imagine being in your clothing store of choice and working through the racks and stumbling across Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the living God. What a find. If you haven't been baptized and are interested in a new summer look, let's talk after the service. Because according to Paul, everyone who has been baptized is wearing God. This is the title of a marvelous book by theologian, Episcopal priest, and professor at Duke Divinity School, Lauren F. Winner. The subtitle is Clothing, Laughter, Fire, and Other Overlooked Ways of Meeting God. And you've maybe heard me talk about her essay uh, on bread uh, and the delectable nature of God that appears in that book. And in her chapter that is focused on clothing and all the images in scripture of wearing divine qualities, Winner notes the ways that uniforms have been used throughout history 
to control the individuals and groups wearing them. In some cases, a uniform might have a liberating effect. Your identity is freed from projections and expectations about your economic status, gender, and race when you put on a certain outfit. Much of the power in uniforms comes from who decides when and where they should be worn. Now, if you are choosing to dress in a particular way, that is an expression of your agency, even if your choice is to wear something that a lot of other people are wearing. You have still made a choice. Where someone else is telling you what to wear, your freedom is constricted, if not completely denied. It is interesting to me that Paul's famous claim of unity in Christ, that the binaries the world demands between slave and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, are rendered impotent and meaningless. This claim comes after being clothed in Christ. It's almost as if the clothing is less a robe or jacket and more of a cloak. It is a form of disguise, and when you are wearing Christ, it makes it difficult for others to see the things they might ordinarily use to label you. When we say we believe Jesus Christ is evidence of a loving, liberating, life-giving God, that isn't just some slogan to try to increase membership or monthly donations. Like Paul, we believe that Jesus Christ wants love, liberation, and life for each and every one of us, not because we have been to the right schools or used summer as a verb or any other marker of worldly success. Jesus Christ wants this because we have been baptized and are now wearing God. How we dress is an expression of how we want to be seen. Do we want the world to see power and success, wit and charm, love and mercy? What might an outfit of God look like on a runway, in a meeting, in communities that have suffered through nightmares of poverty, violence, and exploitation? What happens to a dream deferred. The poet Langston Hughes asked nearly a hundred years ago, and we keep deferring dreams, our own dreams, the dreams of others, and the dreams that God has for the world. This dream that Paul expressed is really God's dream for the world. God dreams a world in which the categories of slave and free are ridiculous because everyone is liberated. God dreams a world in which racial identity is not a predictor of your likelihood to own a home or be arrested, but a quality to be honored and celebrated. God dreams a world in which the ways you experience and express gender are a source of joy rather than the cause of shame, fear, or mockery. In a new memoir, Boys and Oil, Growing Up Gay in a Fractured Land, Taylor Brorby writes about his struggle to accept his sexual identity as an adolescent in the Midwest in the 90s and early 2000s. And he recalls a boy in his high school who wore makeup, sequined jeans, and bright shirts. 
The other boys at the school respond by circulating a petition to have him barred from their locker room. How this boy dressed attracted ridicule and marginalization. This response intimidated Brorby and made it difficult for him to be honest about his own identity with himself and others. I wonder if any of you have ever been afraid to wear God because you've worried about how you'll be treated. Maybe you've stopped yourself from selecting an outfit or pursuing a relationship or ending one because you have seen the evidence of what happens to people who resist the world's distinctions and terms. Maybe you've joined the poet of Psalm 22 in saying, Be not far away, O God. Maybe you've been asking God to save you not from bulls, lions, and dogs, but from bullies, loan officers, and police. The world wants to control who you are. Christ wants you to be who you are. To be or not to be, Shakespeare had Hamlet ask in one of the most famous soliloquies in English literature, and how many people have chosen or been forced to choose the latter to deny their nature, their very lives, because their love, their liberation, their life was not valued by the communities in which they lived and moved and had their being. To choose the former to be is no easy task or matter of Darwinian survival of the fittest. It is a choice of resilience and hope, and it is a choice that we have to make each day, much as we choose an outfit to wear every morning. Winner points out that long before fashion was a noun, something we might enjoy as we watch The Devil Wears Prada or the latest season of Project Runway, it was a verb. To fashion a church out of faithful believers, to fashion joy from our worries and wounds. Winner recalls the many passages in Scripture where to clothe someone is an expression of God's provision and tenderness, an act akin to sharing food and drink. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells his disciples that whenever we visit someone in prison, whenever we offer water or other refreshment to people who need it, whenever we clothe someone, it is as though we are performing this ministry for Jesus himself. We believe that when we receive the body of Christ at the Eucharistic table, we become the body of Christ. When we provide the clothing of Christ, we become the clothing of Christ. This is the fashion of a Jesus-centered life. In today's gospel reading, Jesus liberates a man from demonic possession, casting the demons into a herd of pigs. Now, we don't have time to get into Jesus's anti-pig campaign, but I wanted to note that following this healing, the man is sitting at Jesus's feet, quote, fully dressed and completely sane. I confess I'm not sure what it means to be completely sane. 
However, I can appreciate this story of restoration, of what is possible when we stop deferring God's dreams for love, liberation, and life. The story ends with the man asking to follow Jesus as one of his disciples. And depending on your interpretation, Jesus' response might be a denial of that request. He tells the man, return home and tell the story of what God has done for you. Sometimes we get fixated on our own ideas of what it means to be a disciple, to do ministry. It can require us to go into new places, but sometimes it means going home and telling the story of what God has done for us. My guess is that not all of us are comfortable with this assignment. Some of us were delighted to get away from home as soon as we could. Some of us aren't sure how to tell the story of what God has done for us. As we think about what it means to wear God, what it means to lead a Jesus-centered life this week, I wonder if we can sit with the mission that Jesus gave one of his disciples. Go home and tell the story of what God has done for you. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.